2: Color analyst for the White Sox, Steve Stone. Try it with your bare hand. It's a lot easier that way. Joins Lawrence
3: Holmes. Steve Stone is a Cy Young Award winner. He is a fantastic color analyst for
2: your Chicago White Sox, and he is a score baseball expert. We handed off Lawrence. It's difficult to sit back and watch these games from afar, especially when you see something and you want to say something and you turn and there's your dog sitting there next to you. Steve Stone talks with Lawrence Holmes. He doesn't really understand why the guy didn't hit the cutoff, (laughs) man, but he nods his head, gives you a smile, licks your face, and all is right with the world. Social media god Steve Stone and Lawrence Holmes, right now on The Score.
3: It's great to have Stoney, especially today. He joins me on the Circuit Resort and Casino Hotline. <phone rings> Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. And now Steve Stone joins me here on The Score as we start the show off. Hey, Stoney.
2: Hello, Lawrence. How you doing?
3: I'm doing okay. I, I've got a lot of questions about what happened in this series, but the first one is... What do you think is the difference between these two teams? As you were watching them go up against each other, what are the things that the Astros have that the White Sox want?
2: Well, there's a few different things. Uh, number one, this team as a whole has a lot of postseason experience. They've been there before. They've done it before. They've gotten awfully close but never quite never quite uh, got there in this incarnation. They did win the World Series in 2017, So this is a team that has been through this. They understand what it takes to get this done. And I think that's one of the big reasons. Experience is terrific. You know, uh, a a lot of teams, uh, they get there as first-timers. That doesn't happen too often in this day and age of baseball. There's so much information that's to be shared that if you have any weaknesses, it's exploited. If you've been there before, you can use your advantage. And I think that's, that was one of the biggest differences in these two teams. So that's one of the things the Sox would love to have that the Astros already have. A lot of experience being there, doing that, and knowing what it takes to get to that point.
3: Postseason baseball is such a, a, a fickle mistress. Like it's, it's difficult. But I did think that one of the things that I, I wish the White Sox would take from this experience is that winning is in the margins. And sometimes... It is taking the extra base, or it's, it's making sure that you don't allow a pass ball, or catching a ball that's thrown in from the outfield, or hitting the cutoff man. These are, these are small things in individual games, but when you look at it as a composite of this series, there are things that quite frankly frustrate me, and I'm wondering how the White Sox can get better at those things.
2: Well, let me explain a couple of things to you, Lawrence, about um, a short series. And I said it beforehand, in a short series, anybody can win. Uh, Do you really believe Boston is a better team than Tampa Bay? I don't. However, in a short series, Boston was able to take them out. Yet we saw during the course of the year, Tampa Bay is a very good team. Uh, But, you know, again, a short series. I'm not going to tell you that the White Sox are a better team than Houston. In fact, just the opposite. I'm going to tell you that Houston is a better team than the White Sox for a number of different reasons. But how can they get better? They can get better by paying attention to the little things. We talked about it a lot during the course of the year. The game of baseball, when two teams are evenly matched or when two teams are playing in a a very close game, the game of baseball is won and lost 90 feet at a time. You give the 90 feet away, you probably lose. You take the 90 feet, you probably win. Uh, The White Sox make an inordinate amount of mistakes in close games. That's one of the reasons why when they hit multiple home runs, if you look at the numbers, they're startling. When the Sox hit multiple home runs, they win probably, uh, oh, I would say 85% of the time. I mean, that's, that's some pretty big numbers. When they don't hit multiple home runs, or when they don't hit any home runs, then you have to beat another team with execution. The Sox weren't able to do that very often. If I had a dollar for every time they missed a cutoff man, I would be a very wealthy man. You cannot allow that consistently. I watch Eloy Jimenez miss a cutoff man almost every throw, and you wonder, wait a second, what is this? What? Why is this going on all the time? And it's not just Eloy. It's just that. He seems to believe that he can throw through and get everybody out. Well, when you do that, the trailer inevitably takes another 90 feet. Sometimes it takes you out of the double play. Sometimes it puts you at third base and means you can score on a short pass ball or wild pitch. We have seen the Sox having some problems defending against that. And it's not just Yasmani Grandal, although he was the number one catcher. It's every one of the catchers. They do not block balls well. And so consequently, what happens, and I think this factored in, one of the biggest hits of the ball game yesterday was watching Carlos Correa on an 0-2 count swing at a high fastball, and he drilled it in the left field, drove home a couple of runs. I believe that the reason why that pitch was thrown is I don't think that Carlos Rodan was confident that if he buries a two-strike slider, it was going to get knocked down. That's just me. But I know that if I didn't have confidence that my catcher was going to be able to stop everything, it would change the type of pitch I would throw at 0 2 I wouldn't give you my best slider, wouldn't give you my best curveball. I think sometimes that comes into play. I I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I do know that, and I I think they're going to continue with Yasmani as the number one catcher because he can really hit. We saw how effective he was in an offensive player. But if that's the case, you better get a backup catcher who can really catch. You better get a catcher who can throw somebody out stealing. And that's not just on the catchers. That's on the pitchers. We've got a whole staff of pitchers that completely ignores base runners. And consequently, when that happens, Lawrence, you steal an extra bag. Or you steal two bags. And then you can score in a sacrifice flyer, a chopper in the infield. Again, 90 feet twice, you lose. And that's what happens. I've never seen a staff, as a staff, ignore base runners as much as I see the Sox do that this year. That's a big problem because close games games, teams will beat you by taking, taking that extra base, by stealing a base, by stealing sometimes two bases. Even guys who don't run very fast are stealing bases. I've seen pitchers completely ignore base runners, only look back one time at second base. Before you know it, the guy's standing at third. That is inexcusable, but I do believe in talking with the coaching staff. That's going to be addressed a lot this spring training. I think last spring training, to a certain extent, with a fairly brand-new coaching staff and a new manager, they played a getting-to-know-you type of situation. I think this year they're going to go over everything that happened, and they're going to they're make some adjustments to it.
3: I, I love that you're pointing it out. AJ pointed it out during the broadcast yesterday, where you see Altuve, he's got the same thing that you're thinking, that if there's a ball in the dirt, Yaz isn't going to block it in front of the plate. He's going to be searching for the ball or around his ankles or behind him, and and you saw a guy that was on his toes at second base saying, "I can get to third and make this a much different at bat and pitch sequence because I don't have faith that the catcher is going to be able to catch what what the pitcher is throwing."
2: Yeah, I mean, look look at Martín Martín Maldonado he seems to absorb the baseball The good catchers absorb the baseball when it hits off them it hits very softly it trickles out in front you control the ball yes at times he's got fairly hard hands and certainly he doesn't angle his body correctly and whatever the technique is it's not quite what it should be i know he's a wonderful pitch framer and but that's part of it that's just a single part of it the rest of it has to be addressed and i think that's what's going to happen so so Lawrence, this is usually how you go through this. When you look at the entirety of this season and the postseason, you throw out the end result. We know the end result. They were taken out by Houston. They won their division. Everybody goes, I think they want the Sox to apologize for being in a weak division. Well, guess what? Minnesota wasn't apologizing when they dominated this division for I don't know how many years, and they had a very good team, and that was really good, and they did well, and they won, and and sometimes you know they took a little bit further than other times, but the division is the division. You have to beat them. You can't apologize for playing in a in a weak division. It just happened. This was the year. So the Sox win the division. That's fine. Again, you throw out the end result. The end result was they lost to to Houston. But then you take a look and you do an autopsy on exactly how you got to where you were. How did this team get to the point where they lose 3 or 4 to Houston? And then look exactly what went wrong. I know the injuries are there, but you know what? That gets tiresome. You put the injuries aside. They happened. This year, unfortunately, it was monumental injuries to consequential players. You put that aside and you figure out what else we could possibly do to get this team better. They've got some decisions. Do you pick up Kimbrell's option? Do you pick up Hernandez's option? Uh, That's for the front office to decide. Uh, But you know you have to get better defensively. The defense this year was woeful most of the time, and consequently, that's why you don't win close games. You don't win close games because some really good teams are going to make plays, and your team is not going to make them quite as consistently. We saw when the Sox... When the Sox played a complete game, we saw that they were very good and they could beat anybody, playing a clean game. When they did that, they were fine. But they didn't play a clean game enough. And when they don't play a clean game, and when they don't hit the ball out of the ballpark, it's really tough to win those games. Now there's another factor that that people don't uh, don't really address quite as much as they should. This was a very tired starting rotation as we head into the last third of the season. A lot of it had to do with 62 games, then 162 games. A lot of it had to do with guys who were injured at various times and never came back quite as strong. The top three in the rotation were injured at one time, and they never came back quite as strong. That was a problem. There, you know, you you, you saw a lot of managers in the postseason. They. They took their pitcher out in the fourth or fifth inning, their starters. So everybody says, well, we've got to go deeper in the game. Not too many teams were able to do that. The Max Scherzers of the world can do that, but most of the guys just don't. They took them out. Even Bueller, I know he was going on short rest. He came out a little bit early. Uh, McCullers. McCullers came out of the game way earlier than they thought. He was just wonderful, by the way. And, you know, if the Sox do run into uh, Houston again, they're going to have to figure out a way to get by Lance McCullers, who's really good. But um, that being said, you throw out the end result and you figure out how you got there and where you can improve. And I think it's pretty obvious to most of the people watching this team, they're going to have to find a way to improve defensively.
3: What did you think of Carlos Rodon's start yesterday?
2: I thought for a couple of innings, he threw the ball very well. Uh, I didn't think he was consistent. Obviously he left the ball game a lot earlier than he would like. Um, You know, it's unrealistic to assume when you pitch 42 in a third innings over two years, you're going to come back and throw 140 innings and be at the top of your game. I wish we could have seen the Carlos we saw early going against Houston because he seemed to be able to understand how to get them out for a short period of time. But I think he just ran out of arm, to be honest with you. Uh, we saw some velocities that were pretty good early, actually very good. And then we saw, we saw him trying to establish that velocity and maybe then missing his spots. Uh, you know, it was just, it was one of those outings that um, it looked like it came from a tired pitcher to me. And uh, it's going to be a guy, it's going to be real interesting how Scott Boros decides to package Carlos Rodon as he goes into free agency. What he's going to say is going to happen going forward. I thought that was a. I thought there was an outing yesterday that would have established a little more value for Carlos had he gotten through it very well. I don't think he got through it near as well. So I think the whole entirety of the last maybe two months of this season, I think it's probably going to cost Carlos a great deal of money, but he's a wonderful guy, a great competitor, a terrific teammate. I just wish wish him the best. I, I, think, I think Scott Boros, as he usually has, is going to have delusions of grandeur. I'm wondering where – Carlos is going to go, but because, look, if he comes back and he's healthy, then he's a huge weapon. The question is, how long can he stay healthy? And we haven't seen a consistently healthy Carlos Rodan except for, you know, uh, maybe a little over half a season this year.
3: Steve Stone joining me here as we talk about the White Sox, them being eliminated by the Astros. Stoney, and everything that you laid out, I'd I love to know from someone who spends so much time in and around baseball. What's the responsibility of the organization getting guys the information that they need to get better in the offseason? And what's the responsibility of the player to look at their deficiencies and try to make them a strength?
2: Oh, I think, I think there's responsibility on both sides. I think the toughest thing for most players, Lawrence, is to look in the mirror and dispassionately evaluate just exactly who they are, what they are, what they're doing, what they can do, how they can improve. Because if you can do that, you can really improve. And the best thing to do is to do it incrementally. The best way to do it is to understand that the only way you're going to get better is to try to make yourself better on a daily basis. Get yourself something today that makes you even a half a percent better. Because if you can do that consistently, you can get better. But the organization has to figure out, when you take a look at some of these other teams, there's 10 teams in the playoffs, where would you rank the White Sox? ninth or tenth, perhaps, out of all the playoff teams. They had a lot of good things going for them this year, but at the end of the day, when you see the teams go forward, you're watching a San Francisco-Los Angeles game. Take a look at the defense those two teams play. Take a look at the defense that Tampa Bay plays. I know they're going home, but they're a really good baseball team. Most of the teams that are going on they will turn double plays when they're supposed to be turned, which is something the White Sox had all kinds of trouble with. You're going to give a good team four and five outs in, in an inning. That team is going to bury you. And the good teams that I was on felt that same way. They felt if we stay close to certain baseball teams, that, that other baseball team is going to make a mistake late in the ball game, and our team was going to bury them with it. The saying goes – Good teams take the game away in the seventh, eighth and ninth inning, and bad teams give the game away in the seventh eighth and ninth inning and to go from go from those teams that are also ran teams to teams that are good teams, you have to find a way to take games away late and The only way to do it is to out execute the other teams out execute them both offensively and defensively you've got to be able to make contact when you're supposed to make contact. You have to have a few guys in your lineup that can put the ball in play. Houston is notorious for that. Year after year, Houston is a tough team to strike out. Now, it didn't show up in these playoffs because the strikeouts were very similar between the Sox and Houston. But for the most part, Houston was able to put the ball in play when they needed to. I think we saw a lot of times this year, runners at third base less than two outs, runners at second and third, sometimes nobody out, have a hard time scoring them because there was a lot of strikeouts in this lineup you got to interchange some strikeout guys with some guys who can actually put the ball in play. I think Gurriel is a perfect example of that. When he needs to put the ball in play, he seems to be able to do that. Altuve is another one of those guys. He'll strike out, but but he also is – uh, he's got a really good understanding of of exactly how to play this game, and he plays it very well. So – there's a number of things. Again, Houston might not be the be-all and end-all, cuz very well they get taken out before they get to the big prize also. But they were just the better team in this series. They were a better team in just about every category, and at least the Sox right in front of them saw a team that they're going to have to get over to get better. And, you know, I'm not saying that it's insurmountable, but this year it was a stark contrast.
3: I expect that Michael Kopech will probably find himself in the White Sox rotation next year, And for him to be a starter, he's going to take another big jump, you know, from zero to 50 innings to hopefully 150 innings next year. So what does he need to do to make it so that he isn't dealing with fatigue in August, September, and October next year if the White Sox find themselves back in this place?
2: He's going to have to go from a thrower to a pitcher. I mean, the avocation is called pitching. It's not called throwing. And Michael makes a lot of mistakes with the fastball, leaves a lot of balls middle in, leaves a lot of balls that, that are very hittable when he doesn't have that little something extra on it. And consequently, he gives up many more home runs than you would expect for a guy, the kind of stuff that he has. He's also going to have to use another pitch. He's going to have to throw something off speed. There's very, very few guys that can just throw one speed or close to one speed and get away with it you throw your slider in a range maybe anywhere from 86 to to 89 you throw your fastball anywhere from 96 to 99 if that's what you do if that's the range you throw both pitches you better come up with something else because if you can't fool a guy with location then you can only fool him with velocity you have to be able to fool them with both I have to throw something that you can identify as a fastball and it's a changeup. Or I can I gotta throw something that you identify as a slider and maybe it's a slider but it's four or five miles an hour slower. Those are the guys that are really tough to hit. And I think if Michael's gonna ever pitch big innings and if he's gonna move from a reliever to a starter, and they know this, I mean this is not this is not a startling revelation, he's going to have to mix in other pitches and mix in other velocities. Because right now, again, he's, he's getting hit very hard on days where it's not enchanted, where he doesn't have that little bit extra. But this is a learning process from a guy, again, he didn't pitch for the better part of two years. He just came back this year, and he was in uncharted territories as far as going deeper into a season and the appearances and innings. I think it'll get better for him, but, but they will. They, if, if they have designs on making him a starting pitcher, they're going to make sure that he throws different speeds because otherwise it's going to be very tough for him.
3: Stoney, I'm sad that this is the end of us talking about baseball. I wish that this we were talking for a few more weeks because then we'd be talking about the White Sox being in the World Series. But I want to sincerely thank you for all the stuff that you do for the station and particularly for my show I feel like I know more about the game because you're on, and I feel like the listener does feels the same way, that when you're done talking, they feel like they've been educated. So I want to thank you sincerely for all of the the great work that you've done on this show all season long.
2: Well, Lawrence, thank you. And I want to say one thing. I mean, we, we dealt with a lot of the negative things that happened this year with the White Sox, but I want to – I want to leave you with an idea that the White Sox made some major strides from last year to this year. This is a better White Sox team now than it was last year. And next year it's going to be a better White Sox team than it was this year. They did some very good things this year. Luis Robert came up, and he looks like he's going to be a star. I mean, we didn't see the best of Eloy Jimenez. I know that a full season, Eloy's going to be terrific. But they did some very good things. They have to address some things like most teams will. But for the most part, there was great strides made. I think the future is bright for the White Sox. Uh, I love the fact that uh, there's some real interesting players and there was exciting baseball this year. I just think they know from that front office to everybody else associated with this team, they know exactly what they have to do to get better. Now the question is, can they do it? Can they develop? Can they tighten up the certain things they have to tighten up? I'm thinking they can. Let's see how it plays out, Lawrence. But I want you to have a very, very good off season. I know uh, you're a terrific football guy, and, and hopefully the, the Bears will get it done. But, um, you know, I'll be talking to you. I'll pop in occasionally down the road.
3: All right, I like that. And I'll be out in AZ this, this fall and winter, and, and I'll buy dinner this time.
2: Boy, that's to be refreshing. I wasn't wrong for the parting of the Red Sea, but I'll tell you what, this is this is going to be good. I want to I want to bring a camera crew. out. I want to take some pictures of this.
3: Yes, yes, you do that. I will. I will bring my wallet and whatever you want is on me. Stony, have a great offseason. I'll talk to you soon.
2: Okay, Lawrence, take care.
0: That is Steve Stone. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue.